God said, let us, that's plural. He's not talking about the angels here. This is a divine council. Let us make man in our image and after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. Pay very close attention to that because we live in a world that says there's more than two genders. But the Bible says there's two genders. There's male and female. I just know I'm going to tick somebody off on Mother's Day. And I just, I know I am and I don't mean to. But we have gotten so far away. <laughs> Joanna's laughing over there. But we have gotten so far away from God's design. And that's why we're in the doggone mess we're in. It really is. Oh, goodness. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them and said, Be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth. Now, in verse 31, it says, God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was what? Very good. Everything God had made was good. So, I want to divide this up into three sections, if we can. I want to talk about Eve's formation. I want to talk about Eve's failure. And then I want to close with Eve's future. Because God's more concerned about your future than he is with your past. He's more concerned about your future than he is with your past. All right, so uh, Eve's formation. All right, so um, in verse 15 of chapter 2, it says, The Lord God commanded the man... I'm sorry, verse 15, it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man. Everybody say commanded. Amen. This was a test of obedience here. This was, not, uh, this was not by accident. This was by design. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. It should say freely eat. If it doesn't, it, it, that is in the original. Of every tree you may freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat of it. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. There's no possibility of survival. Okay? Pay attention to that. You will surely die. Now, at the end of chapter uh, 1, God looked at everything he saw, everything that he had made, and he said, it's very good. God's creation is good. But there was something in creation that was not good. There was something that was incomplete. And we find that in verse 18. The Lord God, it's an interesting phrase here. This is Jehovah Elohim uh, in the Hebrew. And Jehovah Elohim said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a help meet for him. Now, the fact that woman is called a help does not mean that she's inferior. Subordination does not mean inferiority. And I know some of you are bristling at that word subordination, aren't you? I know you're not going to laugh, but you, some of you women are going to get mad today. Uh, and some of you guys may get mad too. That's okay. I probably won't get any Mother's Day cards sent to me, but uh, send them somewhere else. No flowers for me, no candy. But uh, subordination does not mean inferiority. Uh, the as a matter of fact, the Bible says that God is a helper. You realize that? That's the same Hebrew word. Uh, I will look into the hills from whence cometh my help. 
My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. God calls himself a helper. God's not inferior. God is a helper. Uh, the Holy Spirit uh, in Greek is parakletos. Um, it, it means helper. One who comes alongside of. So uh, God said, I will make him a help fit for him. Now something interesting happens next. God has just said I, that uh, it's not good for him to be alone. And I will make him a helper. But then he proceeds to form the animals. Notice that in verse 19. Out of the ground formed God every beast of the field. And, and he brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. That must have been a fun day. You know, God's bringing the animals to Adam, and he says, okay, that's a blue-footed booby. Okay, that's a duck-billed platypus. Or my personal favorite, that's a leaping lemur. <laughs> but God gave, uh, gave Adam, again, this shows Adam's dominion. The one who names is greater than the one who's being named. Okay. And Adam gave names to all the cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found to help meet for him. So what God did is he let Adam see that the, the animal kingdom was not sufficient to satisfy Adam's deepest longing. Now, we live in a culture that exalts animals above humans. Just this week, we, we're having to decide whether or not it's okay to kill babies or not. You know, you maybe re you've read about that in the news. It's interesting. Those who fight the loudest for freedom when it comes to immorality or it comes to being able to murder somebody. That's, that's very dis disconcerting to me. Very disquieting to me. And I know we love our animals, don't we? I love my little Lucy, and, and Lori loves our cats. And... Uh, <laughs> And we call them our fur babies. But animals are not on the same level with humans, I'm sorry. They're not. I love animals. God loves animals. And God says, if you got an animal, you better take care of it. You don't need to own an animal if you're not going to feed it and take care of it. Or let it play in the road all the time. We got a couple of dogs on our road that cheat death every single day, don't they, Lori? Uh... They got, they got great luck. If they, if they could buy a lottery ticket, they ought to. Because they chase every car that comes down the road. But man did not find his contentment and his fulfillment in, in the animal kingdom, did he? And I imagine Adam, uh, Adam sees all the animals and they got mates, you know. But he said, I don't have one. There's not one suitable for me. But here's what God did. He caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. And... Uh, you know, maybe that's why men have such an easy time falling asleep. <laughs> Especially after we eat, I don't know. I, I see a food coma in my future. How about you, fellas? Uh, Sunday afternoon and Mother's Day on top of that. Uh, yeah. So if you call me this afternoon and I don't answer, just understand I'm not screening your calls. <laughs> I'm following in the footsteps of Adam. Uh, Adam, uh, he fell asleep. And God put him to sleep, by the way. This was the first anesthesia, anyway. <laughs> this is the first surgery. Now, it says he took one of his ribs. The Hebrew, Hebrew word is selah. 
It's translated side most of the time. Uh, he took out of Adam's side and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had made, had taken from man, made he a woman and brought her unto the man. I'm going to read something Matthew Henry says about this. Eve was not taken out of Adam's head to top him, neither out of his feet to be trampled on by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected by him, and near his heart to be loved by him. Well, that's good, isn't it? Sure wish I'd have wrote that. I never write anything good. <laughs> but I, I can quote people that write good stuff. So Adam, now, now in your Bible it may not be indented, but in some of the Bibles it's kind of indented, which means that it's prose. Adam breaks into song at this point. That's amazing. Adam's first response when he sees the woman is to break into song. Is it any wonder now, even today, 6,000 years later, you turn on the radio, and what does it fill with? Songs about how much man loves woman. Unless you're, you know, listening to country music. And then it's about how everybody's leaving you except for your dog. <laughs> but, uh, and now they've said, you know, now that there's cars that drive themselves, the next country song will be about the, a man's truck that leaves him. Uh, but anyway, I do like country music. A lot of it, not all of it. Um, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. Notice Adam names her. This shows again headship. He names her woman. The Hebrew word is isha. It says because she was taken out of man, ish is the Hebrew word. There's a lot of play on the Hebrew words here. And so most Bible scholars believe that the first language that they spoke in the garden was actually Hebrew because of all the play on words in the Hebrew. So Adam says she is isha because she's taken from ish. She is a part of me. There's just beautiful in interdependence with the man and the woman. Now, uh, woman was made for man. The Bible says that. By the way, the New Testament affirms the Genesis narratives. Jesus says that the story of Adam and Eve is true. Paul says that the story of Adam and Eve is true. It is not an allegory. It is a literal historical fact that the first man was Adam and the second human was Eve. Okay? She shall be called woman. Now, uh, now, some of us guys are feeling pretty good about ourselves right now, aren't we? I'm the head. But understand this, the only way a man can get into the world is by a woman. God's got a sense of humor, doesn't he? Every boy in this room, every man in this room, the only way you could get here was by your mama. You had to have your mama bring you here. And so for that reason alone, you ought to always respect your mother. She carried you, if she carried you full term, she carried you nine months. And she went through travail. Uh, some, some of you ladies had babies before there was epidurals and, and that kind of thing. 
I won't ask you to date yourself by raising your hand, but uh, it, it, was, it was difficult. But we need to honor our mothers. And he says, Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be what? One flesh. Now Paul's going to elaborate on this in Ephesians, and he says there's a mystery here we don't quite understand, but it's concerning Christ and the church. There's a mystery. There's a mysterious union, but it's unlike any other union on the face of the earth. The, the, the relationship between a husband and a wife is the closest thing we have to understand Jesus and the church. By the way, marriage, as it is defined in the Bible, is one man and one woman. That is the only union, by the way, that is able to be fruitful and multiply. Now, I wasn't going to go here, but I'm going to go here anyway, Lori. Is that okay? Uh, yesterday, I was looking on my phone. How many of you have iPhones in here? Some of you don't like them. You got Androids instead. I, don't, I can't speak for the Android. I don't know. But on the iPhone, you know there's an emoji for a pregnant man on the phone. Can I just tell you, number one, there's no such thing as a pregnant man? Now, you might have a food baby. You might have a beer belly. Or if you're a Baptist preacher, you might have a chicken coop. <laughs> but there ain't no such thing as a pregnant man. And I don't care what kind of gobbledygook the world tries to shove down our throat. There ain't no such thing. And what man in his right, man, his right mind wants to be pregnant anyway? Such a full mess, what it is. Verse 25, I'm done meddling, as far as you know. <laughs> Verse 25, they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. Okay. Now, I think we're victims of our little Sunday school cartoons and coloring books. And we picture Adam and Eve as two in a nudist colony or something. I don't think they were, they were naked in the literal sense. I think that they were covered with the glory. Amen. The Bible says they were created in the image of God. And the Bible says that God covers himself with light as with a garment. I believe that Adam and Eve had a glory around them. I do believe that. The Lord woke me up this morning, and I'm always thankful when he gives me a little last minute something or other. Because I thought, God, I need a little scriptural proof because I know some people won't believe this. Think about this. Moses spent time with God in a fallen state. Remember this. In a fallen state. Moses spent time with God, and what happened when he came down from the mountain? Remember his face? It glowed. In a fallen state. Here, Adam and Eve are fellowshipping with God on a daily basis in a perfect state. I believe that they were, there was a glory about Adam and Eve. They were naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. This was the last time, by the way, that there was a perfect marriage. Man, y'all missed a good chance to say amen there. Wake up. That was the last time that mankind had fellowship without the brokenness of sin. It'll be restored one day. Thank God. 
But until that time, no marriage is perfect. Paul said, if you're married, you're going to have trouble. You're going to have trouble if you're married. Now, me and Lori are not having problems, so don't read anything into that. <laughs> well, the day's not over with. We might, but... <laughs> she says, if you preach past 11.45, we're going to have a problem here. No. But um, they were naked, and they were not ashamed. <laughs> That's Eve's formation. It didn't last long. The good part didn't last long. Now we get to chapter 3. Now we're going to look at Eve's failure. Now the reason we're going to look at Eve's failure is not to shame her. It's because Satan's going to use the same strategy on you and me that he used on her. Now I'm not going to focus a lot on Adam because we may pick him up on Father's Day. Wouldn't that be good? I mean, we might have to get somebody else to preach it for it to be good, but it'll be, the content would be good. All right. <laughs> Now the serpent, it says, now remember everything God created was good, even the serpent, in the beginning. Now the serpent, the scripture says, was more, now the King James says subtle. The word is translated as prudent in other places. Doesn't necessarily mean a bad thing. In the book of Proverbs, it's translated as prudent a lot. You know, the prudent man foresees the evil and he hides himself, but the simple uh, pass on and they're punished. Okay. So it's not always a negative thing. But the serpent was subtle. He was more crafty or more cunning than any other beast of the field. Now it's interesting, again in Hebrew, and you won't know this unless you're uh, studying the original languages, the word for naked in verse 25 of the previous chapter and the word for subtle in verse 1 of chapter 3 are basically the same word. They're almost like homonyms. They're, they sound very It's a similar play. Just as Adam and Eve were innocent in their nakedness, the devil was cunning in his craftiness. They were no match for him. And I would say to you, without the help of the Holy Spirit, you're no match either. I'm no match either. By the way, the word for serpent uh, is also akin to the word for brass or shining one, you know, uh, the devil appears as an angel of light, Paul says. There have been a lot of pagan people that have claimed to have near-death experiences, and they talk about seeing a light. And I wonder oftentimes, are they seeing God or are they seeing the God of this age? Because Satan transforms himself into an angel of light. But here comes the devil, and here's what he says. Yea, has God said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden. So his first strategy... It's to question God's word. We do that today, don't we? Is marriage just between one man and one woman? Has God said? Has God said there are only two genders? Has God said, has God said that, con, that life begins at conception? Has God said that? Or is, that, is it just a mass of tissue? that we conveniently call a fetus. Has God said? That's, Satan has employed the same strategy. Now here's the thing about the, the, the serpent, and I'm going to pick up some steam here so we won't spend too much time. The scripture focuses on his activity more than his identity here. And I think the reason is, is uh, you know, we'll run from a snake, 
or at least I will. I don't even like black snakes, but I won't kill them, so don't get mad. I might get Lori to relocate it <laughs> for me. <laughs> you see, God gave me a help fit for me because he knows I'm scared of a lot of stuff, and she's just fearless, you know. Sorry, I didn't mean to make you the object of all of my illustrations here, babe. But uh, Anyway. But see, you'll run from the snake. If you don't understand this whole subtle thing, you'll run from the snake, but you'll hang around with Bathsheba's bathing outside. You'll run from the snake, but you'll sit and listen to the professor telling you that the Bible is not really God's word. Sometimes the devil comes to you in a, in a suit with a bow tie in a pulpit. No, I'm not talking about myself. But sometimes he'll come. Jesus said you got to beware of the wolf because he'll come in what kind of clothing? Sheep's clothing. I doubt the devil wears bow ties. But if he does, that's a good fashion choice. All right, verse, verse number two. The woman said unto the serpent, <laughs> We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. Now, remember, God gave Adam the command about the tree, not Eve. Remember what God said to Adam about eating? In verse 16 of chapter 2, Eve left out a little detail. What, what did God say to Adam in 2.16? Of the tree of the garden you may do what? Say it louder. Freely eat. But what does Eve say? We can eat. She already views restriction. She always views the strictures. Already views it that way. Verse 3. But of the tree, of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God said you shall not eat of it. Then she adds to it. She says, neither shall you touch it. There's no mention in the scripture about touching it. Go back and read it. God says, if you eat it, you'll die. He didn't say anything about touching, as far as we know. You know, you'll get in just as much trouble trying to add to the Bible as you will take it away from it. Come on now. There's all kinds of people who have tried to add on to what the Bible says. Extra gospels, extra doctrines, extra this, that, and the other. Legalism abounds. You'll get in trouble. Notice something else she says in the end of verse 3. Now the King James says, lest you die. But God had said, you will surely die. There's a difference. Uh, let me give you the difference. I can say, well, I'm tiptoeing through the house, lest I wake Lori up from a deep sleep. You don't want to do that, folks, let me tell you. There'll be Hades to pay. But it means there's a possibility, right? I might not wake her up. Chances are I will, because I walk like a herd of elephants. <laughs> but Eve says, don't eat of it lest you die. God said if you eat of it, you will surely die. So notice, she's already, the devil's already got her right where he wants her. But you know what? The devil will get us right where he wants us to. If we begin to question God's word, we begin to view him as a prohibitionist, somebody who's trying to restrict our freedoms. 
and we try to view him uh, as somebody that's just a cosmic killjoy. You know, God created us to enjoy the world. Did you realize that? God created us to enjoy the earth. Verse 4. Now we get to the outright denial. The serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die. That's pretty brazen. He's gone from questioning the word of God to now just flat out denying it. But I want to tell you this. If you question it long enough and you, you have conversations with the serpent, you'll eventually deny it yourself. You'll start saying stuff like, well, I know the Bible says this, but it doesn't really mean what it says. You see, because God's a God of love. And, and we begin to construct a God in our own image rather than what saith the word of God. Now, verse 5, God does note that in the day that you eat thereof, that your eyes shall be opened. In other words, God's jealous. He's envious. He's, uh, he's trying to hold out on you. He said, you shall be as uh, the Hebrews, Elohim. You'll be just like God. You know, that was Satan's desire. Satan said, I'll be just like the Most High God. I will ascend to the side. All those I will statements. You should read about his origin. and uh, Maybe we'll do that on Father's Day. In Isaiah and in Ezekiel. Talks about the origins of, of Lucifer and, and the devil. He said, your eyes will be opened. Well, they will be opened. But they'll be sorry that they're open. Verse 6. When the woman saw. The gateway of Satan is the eyes. The eyes are the portal of Satan. The portal of God is the ears. How many times does Jesus say, He that has an ear, let him hear. So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit of God says unto the churches. You see, because we walk by faith and not by sight. But she saw that the tree was good for food. That's the lust of the flesh. That it was pleasant to the eyes. That's the lust of the eyes. And a tree to be desired to make one wise. That's the pride of life. Those are the three points of, of emphasis that Satan always comes to you. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. How many people have gotten on a false path because of a quest for knowledge? And it says, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat. Pretty simple there. Not a whole lot of elaboration. And gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them were both opened. But it was not the revelation that they thought they were going to get, was it? They thought it was going to be a great thing. But instead they realized... That they were fallen. This is so tragic. They were fallen beyond repair. This is above all, some of the most tragic portions of Scripture here. Now think about this for a moment. Eve was deceived. Okay, Paul says that too. That Eve was deceived. The devil tricked Eve. 
But Adam sinned, eyes wide open. He saw Eve lose her glory. And he chose to be with her. You know, we can say a lot about Adam, but I think it shows how much he loved this woman that God had made him. He couldn't bear the thought of the two of them not being together anymore. I think there's a parallel here. I'm not going to go deep down the, the proverbial rabbit hole here. But he became sin. Remember, Adam is a type of Christ. One day, Jesus Christ will become sin for us who knew no sin. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. By the way, Eve's death is not recorded in Scripture. All right. So um, their eyes were open, and they knew that they were naked. What was once unbridled fellowship, so comfortable, so peaceful, was now ill at ease. They were ill at ease with one another for the first time. It's just, it almost makes me want to weep when I think about it. And don't you know, don't you know they looked at each other and said, what have we done? What have we done? And you know what the devil was probably doing? I don't want to ad-lib too much here. He's probably laughing his head off. Some of you are having conversations with the devil. The devil's told you, you can do X, Y, or Z, it'll be okay. There won't be any consequences. He's waiting for you to do it. Let me tell you something. The, the only plan the devil has for your life is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And sin, when it is finished, it's a process, James says, and sin, when it is finished, brings forth death every time. The reason the devil's having these conversations with you is because he wants you to yield in to him so that he can laugh his head off and say, look at what I made you do. And here we have the world's first false religion here. They made themselves fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. They were right in their instinct to cover their nakedness. Genesis 1 um, excuse me, Genesis 2.25 is the only time nakedness is looked at in, in a favorable light. That's the only time. Most of the time, uh, nakedness is uh, seen alongside of drunkenness. Noah. Um, demon, demonic possession. Sexual immorality. Is it any wonder that pornography is among the biggest plagues of today's society. Is it any wonder? So they were right in their instinct to cover themselves. But, but their covering was not sufficient. Let me tell you what, your good works will never make you right before God. I don't, I don't care how much you try to fix yourself, you, you're beyond repair. You can't fix yourself. It's not behavior modification. You need transformation from the inside out. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation, praise God. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Praise God. Verse 8. They heard the voice of the Lord God, Jehovah Elohim, walking in the garden in the cool of the day. That word cool is the Hebrew word ruach. That's where we get our word wind or breath. The Holy Spirit is the ruach hakodesh, the breath of God. Presumably, 
This is the time of day that they normally met with God and had unbridled fellowship. Can you imagine? Every day, having an afternoon appointment with the divine creator of the universe. Well, guess what? If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you can talk to God and have fellowship with him 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Because Jesus Christ has made access available to you in the Holy of Holies, where not only the Father is, but Jesus himself is there, whoever lives to make intercession for you. Little side note here, they meet for fellowship in the cool of the day. When God goes to meet Abraham and tell him about Sodom and Gomorrah, you know when it says he came in the heat of the day? Just a little, that's just a little sugar in your cornflakes, no extra charge. All right. It says that Adam and his wife hid themselves from, away from, the presence of Jehovah Elohim amongst the trees of the garden. What, what a crazy idea, a crazy notion that they can hide from God. Adam is hiding among the trees, but one day the last Adam will come and he will die on a tree. and He will become a curse for us. God is there in the garden. The Lord God called unto Adam. It's amazing. God didn't abandon Adam and Eve. God knew this was going to happen. The Bible says that Jesus Christ is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. The cross was not a tragedy. The cross was an accomplishment of a plan that was conceived before Adam and Eve ever fell. And again, because of the sake of time, I'm not going to dwell on Adam's response, okay? We're just going to focus on Eve here. But notice in verse 10, we've already seen the first lie. The first lie, devil, the devil told the first lie. He said, you'll not die. That was a lie. Now we see the first mention of fear. Adam said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid. First time man's ever been afraid. And you know what? We've been dealing with that mess ever since, haven't we? God would spend the rest of the Bible saying, fear not. Because sin has so fractured our relationship with our Creator. I was afraid. I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who, has, who told you that you were naked? Now, whenever God asks a question, it's not because he, he doesn't know the answer. He's looking for a confession here. Now, Adam blames God and then he blames Eve. We've been doing that ever since. Now in verse 13 is the risk, God's response to the woman. Jehovah Elohim said to the woman, What is this that you've done? Now she gets to her confession a little bit quicker than he does. And she doesn't blame God, but she blames the serpent. The old joke goes, Adam blamed Eve, Eve blamed the serpent, and the serpent didn't have a leg to stand on. The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. And Jehovah Elohim said unto the serpent, Now, interesting thing, God's going to curse the, the serpent. But he never cursed Adam and Eve. Now, he cursed their surroundings, uh, the peripheral things. But he didn't curse Adam and Eve, but he did curse the serpent. And he said, Because you've done this, you're cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon your belly shall you go. And dust shall you eat all the days of your life. Now you get over in Isaiah 65, and you find out 
that even in the millennium, when the wolf lays down with the lamb and, you know, all of creation is at peace, the curse is not reversed on the devil. It still says that the serpent is going to eat dust, even in the millennium. But I don't have time to get into all that this morning. We've talked about Eve's formation. We've talked about Eve's fall or her failure. Let's spend just a few moments talking about Eve's future. Can we do that on this Mother's Day? God's more concerned about your future than he is about your past. Let's talk about Eve's future. Notice what he says in verse 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman, the devil and the, and the woman. Excuse me, the serpent and the woman. Then he says, and between your seed and her seed. Now that's a curious phrase. Normally whenever you see the word seed, it always has to do with the male, the sperm, the seed. But here's the seed of the woman. Now what we don't know in Genesis, we'll, we'll figure out when we get to Isaiah, when the Bible says, Behold, a virgin shall conceive. And the child that will be born of the virgin will be called Emmanuel, who is God with us. So even here is the glimpse of the virgin birth. Listen, for Eve and Adam, this has been a catastrophic failure. Would you agree? I mean, death is all around. The smell of death is everywhere. But out of death, Jehovah Elohim speaks life. I don't know where you are today. Maybe you're wallowing under a, a, a load of guilt and shame. Listen, we've all got things that we're embarrassed about. We've all got things that we regret. I've got things, I, I hate to be so transparent with you, but I hate, there are things that I would absolutely hate to be put on the screen for you to see things that I had done, thoughts that I had thought, words that I had spoken. And here I am, the pastor. There's things where... There's not a person in this room that don't have things that they're not ashamed of. But listen, God's grace is bigger than your sin. Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. And I don't care what you've done. I don't care how much of the sin you've done or how long you've been doing it. You can have a new beginning today and God can wipe your slate clean and make you just like a newborn baby. A new creation. He said, I will put in between between your between you one, between your seed and her seed. Uh-oh. That tells me the devil has children. Now here's the funny thing. It's not really funny. It's very disconcerting to me as a religious uh, professional. I don't like to call myself that. <laughs> you know, the only people that Jesus called the children of the devil were religious people. You know that? Him and John the Baptist both. Called them a brood of vipers. Jesus called them a bunch of whitewashed tombs, a bunch of snakes. He says, you're of your father the devil. He never spoke that to the harlot or the tax collector. It was only to religious people. On the day of judgment in Matthew 7, it's all religious people who are on their way to hell. Lord, we cast out demons in your name. We went to church. We did many wonderful things in your name. So that causes me to be very disquieted within me. Just because I go to church... Just because I'm involved in religious activity doesn't mean I'm saved. Just because I'm in a car, in a garage, doesn't make me a car. Just because I'm in a gymnasium doesn't make me a basketball player. Because white men can't jump. 
And I sure can't. You know, one time I could dunk a basketball. I know most of you don't believe that. Okay, it was a tennis ball. It wasn't a basketball. <laughs> but I could. Couldn't do that now. Your seed and her seed. It shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. <laughs> now, Paul in Romans 16 sees the bruising of Satan to be a yet future event. The God shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. So, in a sense, he has been bruised at the cross and the resurrection. But he's still active. Would you agree? And even during the millennium, he's going to be bound for a thousand years. Then he's going to have one last hurrah. And believe it or not, some people are still going to follow him. Crazy as that may seem. But one day, my friend, the devil's going to be thrown into the lake of fire. I know what his future is. He tries to make us so afraid of our future, but it's because he knows what his future is. Verse 16, God says he's going to multiply the conception, multiply sorrow and conception. In sorrow you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be to your husband, and he shall rule over you. Okay. Man's going to try to dominate his wife. And her desire is going to be to rule over him. There's going to be a power struggle. By the way, headship does not mean uh, uh, abuse. The husband is the head of the wife, the Bible says. But you know what? The Bible also says that God is the head of Christ. And Christ is the head of the church. How does Christ treat the church? So the next time you get your Bible out and quote it to your wife and say, uh, I'm the head of this house, the wife needs to look at the husband and say, do you love me like Christ loved the church? Because he's the head of the church. And how did Christ treat the church? Well, he loved her, and he died for her. Husband, are you living a, a self-sacrificial life? Some of you guys say, you don't even have a clue how much I sacrifice. <laughs> but really, are you sacrificed? Are you living that kind of love, that kind of love with your wife? Now, in verse 17, Adam is rebuked for listening to his wife. Hearkening into his wife. Now we get to verse 20, and I love this. I love this. We're talking about Eve's future. And Adam called his wife's name Eve, for she is the mother of all living. This is faith in Adam. Adam has heard the promise in 315 that the seed of the woman would bruise the head of the serpent. And Adam believes it. Praise God. Praise God. There's redemption. Even in the midst of all this tragedy, even in the midst of all this sorrow, there's redemption. Adam believes it. And again, we see Adam's headship here because he names Eve. There's a play on words in the Hebrew. Eve and living are, it's like life and living. They're synonyms. So imagine that. Imagine the Bible's first mother. She started out glorious. She had a tragic fall. Let me tell you what, you've never had a day like Eve had. I'm going to tell you what, you and I, now there's not a person in this room that doesn't know what it is to blow it, amen? You've never blown it quite like Eve did. And it teaches us something else too, that a person's environment 
does not predict the outcome of their behavior. Some people say, well, if we only had the right training, if we only had a perfect home life, get over it. Adam and Eve are in paradise. It doesn't get any better than that. And in paradise, the devil was still able to get them to sin. They had one prohibition. They had all the freedom in the world, and Satan was able to get them to fixate on that one thing they couldn't have. And he'll do that to you too. He'll do that to you too. But Eve had the worst day possible, and Adam. But out of the midst of that comes life, God's grace. Through her seed, she would not only become the mother of all living, but praise God, the mother, the ancestor of the Messiah himself. Glory to God. Glory to God. I'm going to close in just a moment, but I want to read a story. And I'm going to have to ask God to help me to give me strength to read it. When I first read it, I didn't believe it. How many of you know you can't believe everything you read on the Internet? This is documented. I'm going to ask you in here, how many of you have ever heard of Peter Richley? The story of Peter Richley. Yes, I get to tell you something. I get to school you. I get to learn you. I'm going to tell you a little story about Peter Richley. It takes place in 1820. The year was 1820, and Peter Richley was running from his old life in England. He was dissatisfied with his uneventful life and struck out for Australia. He had survived one of the strangest and most harrowing events known to mankind. The ship which he had been traveling on sank. That's a bad day, right? He was rescued. By some strange twist of circumstance, however, the second ship sank. He was rescued again the third time. But the third ship sank likewise. He was rescued for a third time. Yet his fourth ship of passage soon sank. Unbelievably, he was rescued for a fourth time. But this fifth ship sank as well. It would have been laughable had it not been so serious. On the high seas, however, he floated with the serene confidence that somehow God did not want him to die. And sure enough, as if on cue, another ship came by and answered his call for help. This ocean liner was called the City of Leeds, L-E-E-D-S. was named after its British city of origin. It was bound from England to Australia and traveled the same sea lane as Peter Richley's down ships. The crew of the city of Leeds hoisted Peter aboard. Dry clothing was provided to Peter. The ship's doctor gave him an exam, pronounced him fit, and then asked him for an unusual favor. Help me, Lord. This is what he asked him. There's a lady on board the ship who has booked passage to Australia. The doctor explained, she's looking for her son who disappeared years ago. She's dying, and she's asking to see her son. She's in and out of consciousness, and every time she wakes up, she says, God, please let me see my son before I die. She knows everybody on board, and since you're the only newcomer, would you pretend to be her son? Peter agreed. I mean, after all, his life had now been saved for the fifth time. He followed the doctor below deck and entered into a cabin. There lay on a small bed a frail woman with silver hair. 
She was obviously suffering from a very high fever. Deliriously, she was crying out, Please, God, let me see my son before I die. I must see my son. The ship's doctor gently pushed the young man toward the bed. Soon, however, Peter richly began sobbing. For lying there on that bed was the reason that he could not seem to die. Here was the lifeline that had been kept him from drowning five times. For lying on that bed was none other, none other than Sarah Richley, who had prayed for ten years for the salvation of her son Peter. The ship's doctor stood in amazement as the young man fell down by the bed and embraced the sick woman. I'm here, Mom. I'm here, it's me. Within days, the fever had subsided and his mother awakened to find an answered prayer seated on the edge of her bed. Peter embraced the faith of his mother because of her prayers to God that had saved him. I wonder how many of us are here today because a mother said, God, don't let my son leave this world without knowing Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. I wonder how many daughters are here today. You may be here today in, in honor of your mother. You may be just visiting here with us today. But I believe God's brought you here for a reason. And I want to tell you this, that God loves you. Your mother loves you. God loves you even more than your mom and dad love you, if you can believe that. And God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I want to ask you to stand.